How's everyone? Everybody okay? Good. Well, listen, I'm um, really looking forward to beginning a new series this morning. I'm going to begin a three-week series called Making All Things New. And I'm going to read out of Revelation uh, to begin out of Revelation 21 here in just a moment. But um, before I do that, I just want to kind of intro it a little bit. So much like our endeavors over the, the last few years during our Advent season of just steeping our hearts in the truth of, of the season, while there is no resurrection season in the sense that there's always resurrection life, uh, what we want to do is just take the next three weeks and, and, as I said, just kind of steep our hearts in the truth of the season in which we find ourselves right now within the, the church's calendar. And, and wanting to, again, like Advent, just set a bit of um, runway and anticipation for Sunday so that when we come to Sunday on the 4th, it isn't just this quick in and out where we celebrate the resurrection and then we move on. But by taking our time, by slowing down a little bit, by giving ourselves to a, a few weeks perhaps of discussion and, and meditation and consideration, I think we're going to find that it's going to be so enjoyable for ourselves. And I think that ultimately what we're doing in a process like that where we take time is that we're reinforcing what we understand and what we believe. Again, just like we did with prayer, by taking the time to actually dig into the, the depth of truth. And we didn't even really get to the bottom, I think, of the significance of prayer and the life of the Christian. But much like that, we'll take the time here. And I think in doing so, we'll find that it's just going to enrich our lives and create a, a bit of, as I said, longing and anticipation, hopefully, when we come to the fourth. And so I'm really looking forward to do that. And I think that also, in addition to just strengthening our belief and understanding, the result of that is always, hopefully, strengthening the way that we live, how we respond from an understanding of truth, right? Amen. So my prayer for us as a church just over these next few weeks is, is that um, the Lord Jesus would do that, that as Paul would say to the, the church in Ephesus, in, in fact, we prayed this yesterday morning, as men, there is, he, he, there is three things that he says, that your, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which he has called us and to the rich of his unglorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power. Those three things, brothers and sisters, that we would have our hearts enlightened, that's understanding, that we would come to understanding and wisdom, that we would understand the hope, a knowledge of the hope that we've been given to Christ Jesus. That's an anchoring hope, understanding, anchoring, and empowering, that we would understand the power of his might that is for us, that that would always be our aim as we endeavor to study the scriptures and to be students of, of the word of God and followers of Jesus Christ. I just find that if we can be intentional in how we engage, whether it's Sunday or whether it's with each other or whether it's on our own in our own personal meditation, to have a goal, to have an aim like that, of just being deepened and rooted in Christ Jesus. Um, of course, he is faithful. Of course, he is faithful. So that's going to be our aim, to deepen ourselves, And to, to help us see this hope that Paul speaks of there in Ephesians 1, and, for, and the reason for his empowering, I think that as I was considering how to begin these next three weeks, it's important for us to first see the hopelessness that we and creation have been brought to underneath. And historically, within the Christian tradition, 
the history of creation of God's narrative of redemption, there's commonly four different moments that are identified within the history of creation. The first being creation itself, which we find, and of course we find most clearly in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then we find the fall, creation, then comes the fall, which is found in Genesis chapter 3. And then comes redemption. And of course we know that everywhere between Genesis 3.15 and into Revelation, we find the story of redemption, whether it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament or whether it is fulfilled in a sense or spoken of or embodied in the Christ Jesus and taught to his believers. And we see that all through from Genesis 3 into the book of Revelation. And then, of course, we know that the final moment within God's narrative of creation is renewal or recreation. And this is what, Genesis, uh, sorry, this is what Revelation 21, 22 speaks so clearly of. And this is where I want to begin this morning for the sake of helping set our aim for these next three weeks. So over these next three weeks, we're going to cover these three, four creation moments. But with our view broader than just the personal salvific expression of redemption, and hopefully to one that understands that redemption through Christ Jesus includes the whole of the created world and not just mankind. Well, I just want to say that one more time or ask you to consider that statement for a moment because that really is what I believe that the Lord is going to speak to us over these next few weeks, that redemption is not just about mankind, but redemption applies to all of God's creation. And if all, there's significance in the all-inclusiveness of God's redemption. And so as I said that our Belief would translate to the way that we live, to, to believe that God's redemption applies to all of creation. How does that affect now the way that we live in relationship? We the redeemed, how does it affect now the way that we live in relationship to creation? And so today we'll begin with creation and the fall. I'm going to cover the first two. Considering how sin's effect spreads beyond just humanity, and our relationship with God himself, and it includes also man's relationship with himself that's been affected by the fall, man's relationship with fellow man, and man's relationship with creation. All four of those aspects have been brought underneath the weight of sin and the effect of sin through Adam and first th the, through the first humans. So next week we'll look at redemption and God's making a way possible for restoration to take place within creation. And then, of course, we'll culminate on Resurrection Sunday with the final view of recreation and renewal and how Jesus is the first fruits or the firstborn among many brothers, as Paul would say. So as I said, I want to begin with reading out of Revelation chapter 21. So turn there with me, please. Beginning where we'll end, but just helping to set our trajectory here as we go these next three weeks. So beginning, Revelation 21, I want to begin in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, 
He will dwell in them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, and I love the, the punctuation that was used in this statement, It is done emphatically. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, which opens the truth of your word. Would you illuminate our hearts now, Father, and anchor us in truth and empower us. Lord, we also pray to live this life under the glorification of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So it's in this statement of, I am making all things new. It's this all things pronouncement that I want to focus on these three weeks. Often and understandably because of its significance, the breadth of, the, of redemption is predominantly focused on the person, the personal, or individuals. Often, when we talk about redemption, we think of the application of it to our own life, right? And again, rightfully so, because it's important for the life of the individual. But as Revelation tells us, all things, meaning all things, Right? All things will be made new. Redemption, brothers and sisters, it extends beyond just the individual and humanity. And I think it's our excessively self-absorbed culture that is beginning to pervade our theology and creates a lesser version of the gospel that's far too man-centric. It's far too individualistic. And this is to the detriment of the world around us. Creation. The physical world, all who wait for the redemption's climax at the end of the ages. To this, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Jones, and he says this statement, the truth is that the gospel is good news, not just for our personal salvation. The gospel is good news, not just for our personal salvation, but for the future cleansing and spectacular transformation of the entire cosmos, comparable in scope to the original cataclysmic event of creation itself. So the gospel is good news and is good hope and is great hope for creation as a whole and not just mankind. And with the transformation of the cosmos, the renewal of material, of the material, which has significant implication for this present life that we live in, redemption, brothers and sisters, will be fully applied one day to our bodies and one day to the created world. That's amazing to think about. And I love that when we begin to talk and think about eternity, how quickly we come to the end of our ability to perceive. It's like almost automatically, when I say that redemption will be applied to all of creation, we go, what does that mean and what does that look like? And we'll talk about this in the next coming weeks, but the closest picture that we have of the material world being redeemed is the body of Christ Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who presents himself to the apostles, to the disciples, and to the followers for 40 days, te teaching them and speaking to them about the kingdom of God in light of the glorified Christ. It's mind-blowing when you think about that. What will our bodies be like? 
I heard one time a, a gentleman speak on just his hope, and, and he just kind of let his creative theology go. But I don't think he was, I don't think he was wrong. But he just began to dream about what it would be to have your senses fully redeemed. Perfect taste, perfect smell, perfect sight, perfect hearing. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, even that is, is me, right? I'm thinking about myself. But what about the created world in its absolute, absolute perfected state? I think it's, it's remarkable. I think this, this truth brings significant theology to our life of creation itself. And I spoke when I was talking and teaching about healing how we need to have a, cre- a, a theology of creation. It can't just be that, well, yes, it exists, but yes, it exists, and what is God's plan for its existence? And what does the gospel have to say about creation now and today? Uh, this is interesting. I think it takes us a little bit outside of where we normally go when we talk and think about redemption. And so we, we see that the God who creates is the God who will also recreate. And the same gentleman, Peter Jones, would go on to say shortly after that previous statement that in the same way that God originally created, so he will create again both in the miraculous fashion as well as with the same order and the same breadth of which he originally created. And I think this creation, recreation, this, this creation renewal book ending of Scripture is one of the beautiful things when we look and we study the whole of Scripture itself. And I think it gives us a glimpse for God's intent when we look at how he began and how he specifies that he'll end. And what it does is it brings into perspective everything in between as well. If this is what God's original intention was and if this is what God's revealed future intention is, Again, the question is, how does it apply to the life that we live today? And we'll endeavor to answer that in these next coming weeks. So today I want to focus, as I said, on the two first moments within history, creation and the fall. And Genesis opens, if we can just let our minds and our hearts go here for a moment, Genesis opens in this absolutely kind of symphonic fashion. And I love the Genesis narrative and the Genesis creation account. I personally, I'm a, I'm a film score fan, so when I study and when I prep for Sundays, I do so listening to film scores, and it drives Shannon crazy because she'll walk in and it'll be Braveheart theme will be playing in the background, or it'll be uh, Schindler's List, and she's like, what are you doing listening to this? You know, But it's just so moving, and sometimes when I'm thinking about creation, and as I prepped for this Sunday, I began, I was listening to this film score, and it just created this soundtrack for the backdrop. And I was listening to this song. This is a gentleman by the name of Ennio Morcioni, and he wrote the, the soundtrack to The Mission. Has everybody seen the movie The Mission? And I began to think about creation. Listen for it for a moment. This is going to create a copyright issue. But we'll just stop for a second. I want you to listen to this on the backdrop of creation. You picture it. Light and dark. Oh, I love it. It's so moving to me. 
Ennio Morricone, something like that, an old Italian guy. He writes beautiful music for soundtracks. I would, my preference would have been, and maybe someday I'll actually get the gall to play an entire film score while I stand here and teach. That might be distracting for some, but I think it would be absolutely moving. I don't know, maybe that was lost on some of you because that might not stir you the way it, it stirs me, but I just sit there and it's like these dramatic, and as I said, I'm just picturing this like light in the dark and the sea and the earth and created beings, and he's like, and God's like, and he's just like, you know, doing stuff. I was thinking about this. Do you think, what do you think, okay, best points, most points for the best suggestion of God's soundtrack to creation? Throw, throw it out there. What do you think? We've been watching a lot of Rocky. I thought maybe Eye of the Tiger, right? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. I don't know. I just, I mean, I think about that kind of stuff sometimes because music just kind of pulses through me. So I'm going, which one? Vivaldi? Yeah. Right. I don't remember how it goes. It's famous, but. Oh, is that right? Is that the one that goes dee 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 Is that the Cliffs of Dover? Is that is that what that one is? The Cliffs of Dover, maybe. I don't know, but I'm I'm telling you, let your mind go there for a minute. I think it's okay. I mean, he the the most creative being in all of creation, and we look at the beauty around us. I mean, how could there not have been some kind of soundtrack to that? I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, maybe it wasn't there, right? So I of the Tiger didn't exist, but maybe it was, you know, there's some kind of inspiration that Survivor picked up from creation when they're looking at it, and it was like, chick, chick, chick. Anyway, enough of that. So we open with creation. As I said, it's like just this beautiful symphony of, of God's beauty. And the word for it is, is, is creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothingness. And have you ever sat and thought about what nothingness would be? And as a kid, I would think about nothingness, and I would go, well, nothingness, and I'm thinking of space just being black, and even that in my mind is like, well, space, the heavens didn't exist. Nothing existed except for God and the Son and the Spirit in perfect unity and harmony for all eternity past. Isn't it amazing? Someday we'll have a better glimpse into what this is. And I think the Lord leaves us kind of on this cliffhanger to cause us to worship, to cause us to come to the end of ourself and hopefully respond to him of how great and awesome and majestic that he is. So he creates out of nothingness and from this sort of disorder, if you will, even though there's nothing, it's a type of disorder because God creates then order. He creates order to show his power. As I said, light and dark he creates he creates the material and the immaterial world. He creates water and earth, air and sea, time and seasons. He creates order and brings to creation this perfect system to function and to thrive and to flourish within. And then God creates with his beauty, he creates beauty to reveal himself through creation. Animals. Birds. I heard recently, and I'm not going to remember the statistic, but I heard recently that th how many variety of birds there are. It's a tremendous amount of birds. Just one of the created beings God creates with beauty to reveal 
his beauty. Of course, the sea life in all their many variety, the plant life in all their variety, and of course, the crowning creation achievement of a revelation of his beauty is mankind. Again, in order, male and female, fashioned in his likeness. We were talking recently about renewal and recreation. I was talking with a few guys, and we were reading something that was speaking on how God will recreate with the same order. And, and it was all in a conversation around gender and sexuality and how the new creation and renewal will include gender in some fashion or the order of which God... And again, it's like one of those conversations that you're just... You know, it was so big, it's difficult sometimes to actually comprehend. So he creates with beauty to reveal his beauty. He establishes flourishing in creation to show his love and to show his grace. There's synergy in the beginning in creation. There's dependency, coexistence, and harmony. Harmony between man and creation. There's harmony between man and himself. There's harmony, of course, between man and God. And there's harmony between man and man. God creates flourishing to show his love and grace. And he creates with distinction to show his character and to reveal his nature. He created, again, order, male and female. He places mankind in authority over creation by placing creation under Adam's feet, Psalms tells us. And he places woman under the covering of man, bringing her from his side. And he creates with a creature-creator distinction. Again, this is all distinction and order. There is a difference between God and his creation. We will not, nor can we ever, be like God. We will not become little gods. It is a place that is solely reserved for him. And for one reason alone in all of this, that he would receive the glory through his creation. That all of creation would declare the glory of God. We sang it this morning. The heavens shall declare the glories of our great God. The people shall declare the glories of our great God. Creation shall declare the glories of our great God. And then I love, and I said this a couple weeks ago as well, that he ends the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, with a statement as he surveys everything that he creates and he makes a proclamation that what he has created is very good. It's just as he intended it. It's perfect. It's pleasing. It's satisfying. It's very good. But of course, we know so well that mankind would set aside their God-given glory would exchange it through a single act of disobedience for a lie, a lie that they could be even more glorious. And as I just said, a glory that was reserved for only God alone. And the statement is that you could be like God. The one single lie brings in throughout the history of mankind sin. And so man falls. Adam and Eve's sin was an attempt to take on for themselves Independence, self-sufficiency, autonomy, in other words, to exchange their worship of God, as Paul would say in Romans 1, to exchange their worship of God 
for the worship of themselves. And we begin to see Paul's logic played out from the origins of sin. Exchanging a truth from the lie, they begin to worship the the created over the creator. This was played out in the garden with Adam and Eve. And scripture tells us that their sin became our sin. Because they sinned, so now all have of mankind has sinned. And as, as Scripture tells us that because Adam and Eve were the archetype and figureheads of all of creation, through their disobedience, the first humans introduced into all of creation, all of creation, not just humanity, the futility and the consequence of sin, separation from God in the present, and ultimately separation from God eternally through death. You know this, but again, it's just to give us a view of how God began, what has brought us here, and all pointing us towards the cross of Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, making this point clear that all of creation came under the consequence of sin, where Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who's the one man? And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin came into the world through one man and death came into the world through that one man's sin. And so death now has spread to all men because all have sinned. Brothers and sisters, this truth would be considered within our theology commonly known as total depravity. It's, the, it's the, the original nature of mankind that is unable to please God, that is born under sinfulness. This is such a point of contention, not only within certain portions of Christendom, but of course within the world. Because what this speaks to is the fact that regardless of how hard we endeavor or how far we search, that there is no way that man could ever have redeemed himself. There's nothing that is good within us, initially, originally. We are, in our created sense, an offense to God and to His moral law. And we, when we talk about this, we often say that the case in point is by looking at a toddler. They're born beautiful, but man, as quick as they're able to exercise their will, it is exercised in and against their parents, often and ongoingly. Wanted, that's the, the, proof, the proof example for total depravity is our children <laughs> and ourselves. See, I said that. I said that, and now I'm convicted because I slandered my children. I'm, depra- I'm depraved. <laughs> so now there is none that is without excuse, as Paul would go on to say, for through Adam all have sinned and all live beneath the righteous judgment of a holy and perfectly just God. Listen, all, be, all now exist beneath the righteous justice of a holy God. The righteous justice of a holy God. That statement should send chills through our core and, and compel us to speak of the great hope that is in Christ Jesus because all have sinned. All are condemned through sin. 
Our message of hope has to begin with a view of the hopelessness that sin has caused. If we don't have in view our own sinfulness, if we don't have in view a thankfulness of the Savior who rescued us radically, who who rescued us for the kingdom of darkness, if we don't have in our own view this sense of our own depravity and need of a Savior, how in the world will we be able to communicate really fully the message of hope? Hope comes because of hopelessness. We have to begin, which is why it's good to remind ourselves of the sinfulness that is within humanity and within our own hearts that still resides today because it only awakens the message of hope as we see the grace of God extended as a free gift through Jesus Christ for us to take hold of, apart from ourselves, amen? So our message has to be seasoned with sin's effects on mankind so that grace's effects can be seen in all of its beauty. If we see the effect of sin on humanity, then how much more do we get to enjoy and to relish the effects of grace for humanity as well? But it wasn't only man that was subjected to sin through the fall. As I've said, and Paul would go on to say later in Romans 8, that creation was also subjected to the futility. And it says, not willingly. Creation was under the authority of Adam. And therefore, when Adam sinned, all of creation, not just all humanity, but all of creation came under the effects and the weight of sin and the consequence of sin. So the creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it. Who's him who subjected it? Adam. Well, I was going to actually let that wait for a minute because that just shows, am I communicating well? (laughs) But because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so just as our message has to be seasoned with sin's effects on mankind, so too must our message be affected by sin's effect on all of creation. And it has to be seasoned with the effect of grace on all of creation so that the wonder of redemption and the hope that redemption brings can be rightly applied not just to some of God's creation, but to all of creation. One writer would go on to say that redemption is not just present forgiveness of sins and future disincarnate spiritual bliss. It is the transfiguration of the body, similar to the transfigured body of the earthly Jesus. The bodily resurrection, listen to this, the bodily resurrection of Jesus declares one earth-shattering truth that God has not given up on creation. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals one earth-shaking truth that God has not given up on creation. If his promise is for the restoration and renewal of creation, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of that. And Romans will have more to say, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in terms of redemption's effects just yet. So I want to just finish with the last little bit here, and just identify what does it mean now for us? What does it look like? How do we identify living within this fallen world? 
See, because man's fall in the garden means that man now lives in a fallen world. And I think that sometimes what we do is we go on with living each and every day and each and every moment without realizing that what we're engaging and interacting with is actually man's fallenness. And by being aware and perceiving the fallenness of all of creation, I think we are better positioned to bring again the the beauty and effects and the hopes of the gospel on all of creation and not just humanity. Does that make sense? Again, I'm just broadening our view of redemption by broadening our view of the fall. Sickness and disease, of course, we know. Pandemics, war, prejudice, hatred and division, injustice and greed, suffering, poverty, and of course we know death itself. All of these are effects of the fall. There are weights beneath, again, as Paul would say, that creation groans underneath, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Brothers and sisters, the whole of creation is out of order. Even though we exist each and every day, even though there seems to be order in our daily lives, that is the grace of God that sustains his creation for his redemptive plan. Even even just the fact that we have awoken this morning and we have found the, the breath and the life to come and to worship together and to engage in this is a picture of God's grace through sustenance for us. Because we live in decay and we live in disorder. And even that statement is contrary to what so many outside of Christ would think. That we are progressively getting better, especially as humanity. And therefore, the ultimate purpose, and and while I'll speak on this just for a moment, in a second, while the ultimate purpose in their minds is that creation, the created earth and the world would be elevated to a place where it becomes ultimate in terms of the effort, the energy that it receives. And of course, we know that that is not true. And we know that Scripture tells us that all of creation will fall under the same judgment as humanity will one day when Christ returns. But the great news is that he will renew all of creation. So it's out of order. And there's no amount of effort, nor idealizing, nor legislation, nor any type of uh, authoritative intervention, be it be it a peaceful protest or some type of militaristic endeavor, there's nothing that humanity can do to to reinstitute order in this world apart from the redemptive work of Christ Jesus. Applying it to the fallenness of man and to the fallenness of creation. This is important because what was lost by man could only be regained by a man. And there's so much to teach in that statement. But it's just to know, to begin to now point our hearts towards Christ, that what Adam lost, only man could restore. And we know this too because of how Scripture refers to Christ as the second Adam. The firstborn among many brothers. The first fruits of the new creation is Jesus Christ. Therefore, indicating that there would be many more who would follow. We are the many more, right? We are the many more. So what was lost by man could only be reclaimed by man. And I love that the fact that that we see so quickly God's heart for his creation 
his love and his affection for his creation by the minute that fallenness is introduced into created order, the promise of the recreation or the hope for restoration is introduced in Genesis 3.15 when God prophesies of the one who will come and strike the head of the serpent. The Messiah foretold the second that the sin enters into the world. If that itself isn't a picture of God's intent for all of creation, I don't know what is. He was not, he was not satisfied to even let a moment go by where hopelessness would reign in the hearts of man. So through sin, four things, just to finish our time here. Number one, and I'm just reversing the order here on it, is that through sin, number one, man is alienated from God. Just within creation, as God created it, that man would be in harmony with God. Now sin has brought alienation from God. And not only does mankind reject God as creator, but I was thinking about the text in Job 15, where, it, where he tells us that mankind, it says, has stretched out his hand against the Almighty. And this picture I just had in my mind, and I'm sure you have it too, is just the shaking of fist that humanity does against God. It's almost like this, this hubris of challenging God, of bring it on. Little do they know that he's already brought it. Humanity's alienation has become their boast. It's, it's pride almost that they don't live beneath any authoritative figure, that they are themselves fully autonomous. It, they've become scoffers. They've become wicked, as Peter will tell us, heartless, slanderers, treacherous, all the while, as I said, just shaking their fist at God. I was thinking about this too. Spirituality today is totally in vogue. It's, it's, it's completely, I don't know, I mean, people don't use the word cool. I use the word cool. It's like, it's completely cool to be spiritual. That's, that's like the thing. But Christianity is archaic and narrow-minded. Is it not? Be spiritual, but don't be that spiritual. Why? Because man is not seeking God. Man is perpetuating the very first sin to be like God. And therefore, this semblance of patching together a, a type of quilt of spirituality, of a little of this and a little of this and a little of this, this syncretism where we just kind of take and adapt what we want. And listen, brothers and sisters, even within the Western Christian culture that we exist within today, that we so love, that we pray for, that we seek to advance within this world, there are implications of this and examples of this already. Where a little bit we hear, is Scripture, scripture really authoritative? Is Scripture really infallible? Does hell really exist? Did Jesus really have to die did he go willingly or was he subjected and literally the expression has been to some type of cosmic child abuse? That expression has been used in description of Jesus Christ going to the cross and the joy that was set before him. 
So even in that which we love, we're beginning to see that man, the alienation of man from God begins to play out. Number two, man is alienated from himself. He's alienated from God and he's alienated from himself. As each year passes, man's attempts to look inward for fulfillment and worship only increase. I was thinking about this too, like the online influencer thing that has emerged. You have to know, like, I just despise it so much. When people talk about influencers, I just want to punch somebody in the face. But listen, online, listen, this speaks to this though. Man's looking inward, continuing to look inward, looking for answers, looking for truth, and thinking that they're not finding it here, so it has to be somewhere down in here. And so there's this promotion of self, and there's a promotion of thought and ideology and what is perceived to be truth as being truth. So whether it's something as, as dumb as an online influencer or something as dumb as like TikTok and Snapchat, which I also abhor completely, or if it's, if it's something that's just, you know, completely obvious in opposition, I think that the, the, the point of it is, is that man is, is looking for something and it points to something totally profound, that the further inward that people go, the greater void that they find within themselves. And they find seemingly an endless expanse of just hopelessness and insecurity, which is remarkable because it just perpetuates the cycle. Hopelessness and insecurity drives people deeper, and the deeper they go, the more hopeless they become, and yet the more insecure they become, and so the more vocal they are on Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram. I was even thinking about fil- filter, selfie filters. Even that itself is, is this picture of man being alienated from himself, unwilling to just face the fact that, like, I've got pimples and, I, you know, maybe I'm a few pounds overweight or, like, whatever it is, I want to slim it up, I want to tighten it up, I want to filter it up, and I want to present that as being truth. Maybe for some of you who are my age or a little bit older, this isn't really quite landing, but for those who are younger, this probably hits home a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, I got to glitter it up with, my, with my, uh, my filter stuff. So man's alienated from himself. I w- also, too, I think within the church, we're finding that we're facing a pandemic of sorts, one like we've never seen before. But listen, this disease doesn't kill the body. This disease kills the soul. Again, it's just the inward pursuit of mankind is the answer to the void that they really feel. Man's alienation from himself. Number three, man is alienated from each other. And of course, we don't need to go far to understand it, so I'll just go quickly. But on the global and national level over these last 12 months, if we have stopped to just think about the rise of cancel culture, it's not a silencing of hatred, brothers and sisters. Cancel culture is a declaration of the very thing that it sets out to oppose, which is really ironic. Really. It really does. Come back to this thing that spirituality is in vogue, but yet Christianity is not. You can't say that. You can't tell me that God created with an order. You can't tell me that there are gender distinctions within creation, that, there's, that there is, there's binary one and two. You can't say that. that is, that's ridiculous. That's hypocrisy. We're alienated from each other. Number four, man is alienated from creation. 
environmental decay, natural disasters, animal extinction, just not even human stewardship issues, but just natural decay on its own. How sad that there's beautiful creations that God has created that are now gone off the face of the earth, like the dodo bird, one of God's better creations. That was a joke. I'm just joking. There's other things that are beautiful. (laughs) But all of this, though, points to the birth pains that Paul speaks of in Romans, that creation sits with under. And again, there, 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 are, there are answers to it in terms of stewardship, and we can talk about that, but it's not the ultimate because we have to understand that man has been alienated from creation. What was Adam's has been lost. That's now under the weight of sin. Since the fall, mankind has been looking and seeking and attempting to build for themselves this terrestrial Eden. Since Eden was lost, mankind has desired to pursue it. Interesting that God placed in front of the entrance angels to keep man from coming back in. Man has always wanted to get back to Eden, and so we create these ideological utopias, which are not utopias. We live in a dystopia, brothers and sisters. It's disorder that we live in. It's not utopia, and we won't find it apart from Christ Jesus. Let me just share with you this quote, and I'll just wrap it up here. C.S. Lewis says this, We see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living, and now must come to terms with it. If we had foolish hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that we could turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the souls of men, we are disillusioned, and not a moment too soon. In ordinary times, we realize that, and he's saying this in, in the times of World War II, now in wartime, the stupidest of us know it. Man is incapable of finding that utopia and creating that which they have so desired. So the importance of all of this, again, brothers and sisters, is just to say that redemption, it extends beyond just the inv- individual and the humanity. And when we consider man's alienation from all of those four things from God himself, from creation, from himself, and from one another, how much more do we long to see redemption applied to creation? I do. I look for that day. And while I say that, knowing full well that even in this life, that is hard to say that because of my children and my friends and the life that God has given out of blessing to me, I still look and am excited for the hope that I have that day when I will stand with all of you and I will know you in some fashion and we together will say, what is this? This is amazing. Kevin, where are your glasses? Yeah, and they'll be like, Matt, you lost 50 pounds. Oh, yes. I got I don't know. I don't, I don't, I have no clue. I don't know. I mean, maybe like for the follically challenge, you might just stay that way. I don't know. I'm not sure. But we're supposed to know each other somehow. So, you know, it's like, how am I going to know Nate if he's got a head of curly hair? I don't know. <laughs> he said he'd be the one that would show up and would still be bald. That's what Nate said. Let me just say this too, finally, that what we believe, as I already said, what we believe that God has done and will do through, through redemption affects 
how we live and how we interact with the world around us. And I just want to remind you of these words where Paul says in Ephesians, but God. All of this points us to the cross. All of this hopelessness, all of this disillusionment and disorder, it points us to the cross. It's a preparation for next Sunday when the cross is introduced as the means and the tool and the gateway by which redemption and restoration will be applied to all of creation. But God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy. Amen? Stand up with me, would you please? I'm going to thank the Lord. Father, I thank you for this gathering of saints. I thank you, Lord Jesus, just to remind ourselves today of the significance of the sin by which surrounds us and we ourselves experience. But yet, Lord God, how quickly just in Genesis we are reminded of redemption that is ours. And Father, we pray that you would expand our hearts to understand, that you would expand our hearts to have in view, Lord, your view of creation. And so, Father, to stir our hearts to take this message of hope to all of creation. Lord, stir us to the glorification of your name. Amen.